looking at efficiency metrics, you need days on hand or weeks on hand inventory numbers. You simply can't you can't go out of stock and continue to support growth. So you need some metric that understands the efficiency of your inventory turnover. So that might be days or weeks inventory on hand is, as a metric that's shared each week. Things for marketing, of course, return on ad spend or MER is one that we've supported. Some of the collection and and many of these metrics are available through tools now with integrations directly into Slack. You cannot simply say, six months ago, I executed a deposit on a purchase order for tens of thousands of dollars. And six months later, the product sold and try to understand then the, the margins and, and make those decisions based on such a mismatch of information. But I think when looking at it from a tax perspective, in the U.S. in particular, that decision is best advised from your CPA because the tax law is consistently changing. A2X creates a bridge between Amazon, Shopify, all of your various sales channels and your accounting system, either QuickBooks Online or Xero. One of the great features that's less advertised with A2X is its ability for you to load your cost list into A2X so that it helps create that match of sales, postings, and expense posting to cost of goods sold. On today's episode, I'm joined by an e-commerce accountant to discuss the importance of financial literacy for e-commerce entrepreneurs and how to effectively track and measure financial metrics to drive growth and efficiency. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. So on today's episode, I'm joined by Wayne Richard, a partner and COO at Bean Ninjas a Tuscan, Arizona-based accounting firm that helps e-commerce brands in the $1 to $10 million revenue bracket scale up. Wayne forged a 15-year career with tech heavyweight Hewlett Packard before starting his own e-commerce-focused cloud accounting firm. So why should you listen to this episode? Well, if you're an e-commerce business owner, Wayne breaks down core financial metrics you need to know to help you make more informed decisions and manage growth and your cash flow effectively. Secondly, to achieve profitable growth, e-commerce businesses really need to be focusing on both growth metrics, which are like percentage growth, key margins, net free cash flow, and efficiency metrics, which are things like, um, or metrics like inventory turnover, marketing, return on advertising spend, and operating expenses. Wayne breaks down every one of them. Finally, when considering financial products like revenue-based financing, e-commerce businesses should proceed with caution rather and carefully evaluate the true cost of lending before committing to a loan. So if you want to get a quick 45-minute masterclass on accounting and bookkeeping fundamentals for effectively running an e-commerce business, then pay attention. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Want to improve your e-commerce customer experience with the power of AI? Tidio, the highest rated live chat app on Shopify, has you covered. With Tidio AI-powered chatbots and live chat, 
You can automate up to 73% of recurring questions, providing excellent customer support while creating a personalized shopping recommendation that increases your conversion rate. Tidio not only resolves tickets, but also creates sales opportunities, making it a must-have for e-commerce operators. With dozens of e-commerce tool integrations and the ability to manage all communication channels in one dashboard, Tidio simplifies your customer interactions. And with the Tidio Plus plan, you get a dedicated customer success manager to help you unlock the full potential of Tidio's features. Join over 300,000 businesses in revolutionizing your customer experience with Tidio. Head to tidio.com slash 2x for a special offer and try Tidio for free today. Hey, Wayne, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Thanks for having me, Kunle. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, I made a promise to the audience early this year that we would be speaking in addition to marketing and growth, we'll be speaking to operations and finance. I managed to get um, someone to talk about um, cash conversion cycles um, in February or thereabouts, which was a terrific episode, lots of downloads. There's a lot of value in, in that. And today we're talking e-commerce accounting. I'm so excited, so, so, so excited. But before we jump right in, I'd like to know a bit about you, your background, where you, where did you grow up? Where where do you live now? Just give us a, a, a quick backstory, please. Sure. So I'm Wayne Richard. I'm a partner at Bean Ninjas. I grew up in a very blue collar manufacturing town in Massachusetts. Our town's claim to fame was we were the chair city of New England. So we had many factories where Folks would work building furniture that you would find in many of the family's homes, your dining room table, the chairs that surrounded it. We also had a bit of industry in the fire alarm um, business where there was a big employer that was responsible for a lot of the fire alarm systems that go into commercial and industrial buildings. So growing up, uh, there was opportunity for folks to either go step in and work alongside their parents in these factories or pursue higher education or the third option was really the military. So I had been a good Mm -hmm. student uh, and had been drilled by my parents that university was my path, that I needed to get to a good college, get a degree to which I could work for a big company and that that path would lead me to lifestyle freedom, right? I would work my time and I would reach an age to which I'd be able to retire and my life would be provided for in that path. And I soon discovered that some of that worked out well. So I was fortunate. I graduated with a degree in accounting, stepped into working for a government contractor outside of Washington, D.C. that was eventually acquired by Hewlett Packard. Uh, My time at Hewlett Packard was an amazing learning experience. At the time, they had one of the top finance programs in the world. Of course, most folks know HP from printers, laptop computers, desktop computers. 
Um, our the efforts that we were supporting were a bit different. We were part of a finance team responsible for outsourced government contracting work, which simply meant meant for us we met with vice presidents and different operations managers to help them understand and plan their business finances. There were certain budgets that were committed to at the beginning of each year to which we had to help them manage the spend and the achievement across certain performance standards. After about a 16 year career, I was met with an opportunity, uh, a big decision, fork in the road to either uh, charge forward and relocate my family which at the time uh, was my wife and our five children after being surprised by uh, triplets or uh, accept a severance based on my inability or unwillingness to relocate and use that runway to really seed a goal or an itch that I really had had for years. And that was to pursue entrepreneurship. Uh, That path for me Look like simply delivering services that I learned many people lacked in starting their business. And it was really centered around what I had been responsible for at HP. How can we help business owners understand how to manage appropriately their finances? And at that time, uh, alongside QuickBooks, there's a tool called Zero which is an accounting platform very well known throughout Australia, New Zealand, and the UK as well, that was starting to pick up steam in the US as well. So I thought I, would, I needed a differentiator. I had learned that or read it in an in a entrepreneurship book and said, well, that will be my differentiator. Uh, I now live in Tucson, Arizona, which has a big Intuit building and Intuit's a large employer here in town. So my competition in launching an accounting firm uh, or a bookkeeping service at that time was against folks that had spent 20 years building QuickBooks. So my fear early on was, wow, if these folks know so much more about the product, then I need to do something different. So I, I launched a zero bookkeeping services business, but found that less important than the product or the technology that was being deployed. It was about building relationships and a lot of accounting is built in establishing trust and getting comfortable in having difficult conversations with your customers. So I was able to leverage my strength of connecting very quickly with people, being empathetic myself as a small business owner, with a family and a short runway to really make something happen, that a lot of those early discussions were really just heartfelt conversations about goals. What are you wanting to achieve? And for some of my early customers, it was something as simple as, man, I want to leave my full-time job and fully be involved in this venture that we seem to be working on together. Um, That first opportunity led me to a horrible uh, consultant role that I've had too many customers and the the path that I had searched for in creating time freedom to be available to my wife and family was now consumed with a lot of customers and high demands on my time. 
So I searched out others in the accounting space that were building more lifestyle, family-centered businesses, um, but also leveraging the same technologies. I came across a blog post from a firm in Australia uh, called Bean Ninjas, connected with the founder, and we really hit it off from that first conversation. It was very clear to the both of us that we had very similar goals, but also that our strengths offset each other's weaknesses. So it, after a few other conversations, we discussed having my smaller portfolio of customers acquired by B Ninjas and aligned my role to focus on our growth in the US while my business partner focused on growth throughout Australia and the UK. So I've now been with B Ninjas as a partner and managing director of our US portfolio for over five years. So wow. we've begun to uh, step into um, exclusively servicing e-commerce brands as early as 2019 and mm. have focused our attentions there. Okay. Okay. I was just about to ask if, if your focus is, is e-commerce and, and what was your major in, in university that led you to, to HP? It was accounting and information systems. Okay. So okay. Okay. A bit of a funny, funny story. I actually enrolled in college as a sports management major and my wow. first class intro to sports management, the instructor opened the course and said, many of you will never work in this prof profession. If you do, you'll often work for free or for little money, long hours, and some of you, maybe no one in this room will get a chance to work for a professional organization. And I left that class slightly defeated and stepped into my intro to accounting class. And that professor stood in front of the class and said, every single one of you will be in high demand. You can work in any industry. You will make top dollar. You can work for the FBI, the US government, private industry, some of the world's largest corporations, or professional sports teams. So I walked from that second class into the administration office and changed my major. So that was my, my first week. Two really good people, you know, that, that um, were honest with, with their advice. And um, I could see it, it was really effective. Okay, let's jump right into to, to, to commerce, bookkeeping, um, accountancy. A lot of the listeners in this podcast are already operating and running their e-commerce businesses, or they're supporting the, um, the growth of an e-commerce business, an ex existing e-commerce business, typically seven-figure e-commerce business, one million plus in, in, in revenue, what are the, in your opinion, the fundamental habits or things to do right to ready yourself to the next milestone? So whether you're a seven-figure business, um, you know, um, just what you do to get to eight figures. And if you're an eight-figure business, I guess there are completely different sets of rules from to, for, to, 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 to manage yourself through to, to nine figures if there, there is the capacity to. So let's start out with seven to eight figures. What, what are the best 
um, or the fastest growing seven figure businesses from, you know, your experience, you guys have a portfolio. I haven't really asked you the, the size of your, your, your client portfolio, but you, you have a sizable, um, you know, um, client portfolio. What, 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 what are you seeing them do right? And what are you seeing the lagging businesses get wrong, you know, a majority of the time? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think scaling quickly can be exciting. And you really do need that solid financial foundation in place to ensure that your business can handle the growth and that that growth that you're achieving is sustainable. So some of the tips that I recommend for those brands that are scaling past six figures uh, into seven figures really are, are first to set a roadmap. I think setting financial goals for your business and creating a plan to achieve them is critical this roadmap initially will be set very heavy in assumptions. You simply don't have the data to make as informed assumptions in the, this first pass as you'd like. So I recommend trying to include projections for things like sales and expenses, but more importantly, the cash flow needs that are required to support these goals. Having a roadmap in place will really help you stay focused in those areas where you need to make the most informed decisions as you scale. And over time, as you begin to understand those key assumptions and the results of your actual performance against these assumptions, mm -hmm. you begin to either understand where to double down or where you're repeatedly incorrect and need to begin to course correct. A second thing on top of setting a roadmap is being disciplined to focus on profitability. A lot of conversation around scale is assumed around gross sales, top line, six figures. When we said six figures, initially, I'm sure everyone thought sales of over $100,000. When we say seven figures, folks think sales of over seven, of over $1 million dollars. They don't consider as largely the focus on profitability. So I think it's important to prioritize profitability over revenue growth. This means focusing on those products and channels that have the higher profit margins and being strategic about where you invest, let's say, your marketing or advertising spend. Also, prioritizing profitability will help you make more informed decisions on where to reinvest within your business to sustain that growth over the long term. Mm -hmm. I like that. So, 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 so having that clear roadmap of where you're going and um, understanding the, the implications, the cost implications to how to get there. And, and then um, at the same time, also focusing on, on profitability to, to, to for, 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 for that rock solid foundation for um for, for, for growth okay so with regards to to like data you know tracking data on a on a on a particular cadence what looking again when you speak to, to profitability um what metrics should should, 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 should teams be looking at um, that lead on to, to profitability? Because it's one thing just looking at that number. Um, what are the metrics 
that ultimately will affect the outcome of profitability should they be looking at on what cadence? Yeah, I think at a at a minimum, brands need to be in a position with the right tools, support, and processes to be receiving their financial reports in a timely and accurate manner each month. I think the metrics that they should be focused on, certainly top-line sales, you want it across channel. You want to understand if I'm if I'm seeing sales across Amazon, Shopify, um, Walmart, I want to understand which one of those channels is continuing to grow. So understanding certainly from that top line where you're seeing the highest impact of growth is important. But beyond that, it's understanding the margins. And when I speak to margins, we present to customers various margins to help them identify the spend across major categories in their business. Mm -hmm. So the first one that I'll discuss is gross margin. So simply, if you take your sales in a particular platform and you then reduce from those sales the cost of the product, the cost of the merchant fees, the marketplace expenses that went into selling a unit, some of the shipping fees that were attributable to that sale, you can then identify what your gross margins are. Even more important than that, I believe, in an age where much of the opportunity to scale is based on paid advertising, is to understand what your contribution after marketing is. So the next major category of spend that we capture and present in our financial reports is that gross margin less customer acquisition cost. This presents you that contribution margin after marketing. This is the fuel that really helps you invest in your team and in those operating expenses that are required for any business. After you're looking at your margins, I would say the last margin to really focus on is your net operating profit margin. Some call this EBITDA. It's that bottom line margin. So after all spend in your business, subscriptions, your wages and team cost, um, what's left over at the end of each month? Outside of those margins that are visible on a typical profit and loss statement, it's important to focus on the movement of cash through your business each and every month. As your listeners well know, the movement of cash does not directly align with when expenses typically come in. You're often in a position as brands to invest or spend cash much earlier on product than you have the opportunity based in different accounting structures to recognize that expense. So I believe tracking your free cash flow, and this could be very simply looking at your bank balance repeatedly over time. So you had mentioned a cadence, I would say reviewing your profit and loss balance sheet and cash flow statement each month, but each week being in a position where you have, and it could be a very simple Google Sheet scorecard that helps you understand how much deposits posted in my accounts from you know customer receipts and how much cash 
went out of my business each week. Yeah. You'll begin over time to understand the trends that, wow, the second week of the month typically is very heavy in our largest subscriptions or our agency fees tend to come out that week. So you want to be mindful of when you're beginning to plan for large restock POs and, and shipping out wires for deposits, the timing to when you will have that cash available or otherwise with the guidance of knowing when you plan to outlay cash, being very in front of those conversations to outsource to a financing solution or find other means to obtain the working capital needed to support those cash outlays without having it be an emergency or, or a time when you need to make hasty decisions based on very limited time. Well, really, really, really resonated with that. The, the gross profit, um, you know, your, 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 your cash flow, um, looking at your, your, your OPEX. Um, yep. Makes makes a lot of sense, and then um, you you finally arrive at your, your your net profit. Good 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 stuff there. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. If you're looking to take your e-commerce growth to the next level, I highly recommend checking out Recharge for your recurring payments and subscription management needs. With Recharge you'll be able to streamline your recurring payments, create predictability, and even further automate your business. So don't wait. Get started with the subscription platform trusted by over 50 million subscribers across the world. Try Recharge today and see how it can help you retain your customers and grow your business. So head over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. So with the with the spreadsheet, do, do you want to sort of break down the what um, what components should be in this spreadsheet? You know, and, and t- you, you talked about charting out, um, you know, your, your expenses and your, your in, in, incomings. Um, is, is it just that simple or um, would you put on the other bits into it, other metrics in, into this spreadsheet you, you, you track um, or founders track or teams track? Yeah, I think it can be overwhelming at times for those operating brands because of the vast complexity of e-commerce. There's so many levers that one can pull. So I think it's important to have a focus. I, I know within our own business, we select key areas of focus each quarter and perhaps for a period of 13 weeks or a traditional quarter, you have a focus on reducing your um, cost of sales, your cost of goods sold, in addition to your fulfillment, in addition to your uh, 3PL fees, in addition to your postage, your packaging. So what you might do in that case is look at that grouping as a percentage of sales, So the metric we would track is percentage of sales expended on cost of sales. Mm. So then each week you're able to then gauge as a percentage the impact of those decisions and negotiations and cost savings initiatives that that you're building throughout that 13-week period. Um, I think dashboards are critical for all businesses and they shouldn't be kept to just finances. 
I think it's important where finances often become lagging indicators, right? It's a story in numbers of the decisions you've already made. What we're looking to do, you may love that story. That may be a great story that you want to continue, but what you've learned is continue to make the same decisions, right? Reinforce those habits that got you those results. Oftentimes when we're in conversations with brands to help support the narrative and drawing out that story um, within their numbers, they don't like what the story has been telling them. So they're searching for guidance across how can I tell a better story with this business Mm -hmm. through numbers. And often it means changing habits or making different decisions because you can't repeatedly make the same decisions and expect different results. Oftentimes we find that um, when we ask the question, hey, how long has it been since you've increased your pricing? And the seller will say, well, it's a competitive industry and I've not seen significant growth, but every dollar or every percentage increase in price is that same percentage increase in profit if you change nothing in your expenses. So it's beginning to ask what what habits or what actions need to be taken to help tell the story I want to achieve. And that's where it helps influence the decision on what metrics should go in. But generally, what one strategy that we use is to look at those grouping of expenses as a percentage of sales. And then from that, you have a standard baseline to which you can measure the impact of changes over time. Yeah, makes makes sense. Makes sense. My next question has to do with the cadence. You know, um, you talked about getting scheduled management reports, PLs, actually, your PL on a regular basis. Um, when is it too late? So we're in April now. Today's April 18th. Um, when should you be getting your match numbers? How, how do you, what, what do you suggest from a good accountant or, or good bookkeeping team? Or should, who, who should deliver your PL, your monthly PL, your, your bookkeeping team, your accountant, or both, both your bookkeeping and accounting team? Yeah, I think that's an interesting conversation because really your accounting team should scale alongside your business. I believe that it's important for founders in their early stages of business to understand where every dollar is coming in and going out of their business. So for some, that might mean delivering their own bookkeeping you know, as, as a task that they're responsible for for a period of time until they understand what's required. If their goal is to scale and they have the momentum to scale significantly, very quickly, then that's the time to bring in a bookkeeper. And a bookkeeper can be someone outsourced from uh, you know, a direct hire on your team, uh, leveraging them as a bookkeeper, maybe a virtual assistant. This can be a bookkeeping uh, solution or outsourced partner. Uh, as you scale, you want to continue to look for specialists that understand the complexities of e-commerce. Um, but 
typically a gold standard in our industry is that prior to the 15th of the following month is when you should have your financial statements. And as the complexity grows, then and I think what, what often is missed is sellers need to be collaborative and involved in this process. At times, there's a lot of um, data that's required to get financial reports pulled together, um, but also understanding the material, the, how material those missing gaps are. I think at times, people get wrapped up in having their financials 100% um, of the way accurate when could 90% present you enough information to make more timely decisions from where the 10% might be, you know, immaterial um, amounts that may, may just not require you to hold up the, that reporting. We, we set targets of seven to 10 days um, for, for, for our bookkeeping team um, who are now part of like our accounting, um, you know, team. Um, another big question that's often asked is, um, you know, what kind of accounting do you, do, should you deploy for an e-commerce business? Should it be cash, um, you know, based or cure? Um, what's your take on and why? Yeah, I think with our focus being centered on servicing brands and more of what we call operational finance and, and not tax filings, um, I'll speak to that opinion. I believe in order to have true visibility into the profits that we discussed earlier, it's critical for brands to be on an accrual-based accounting particularly for their inventory and cost of goods sold, you need that clear alignment between actual order and volumes of sales and the actual cost for that product. You cannot simply say, six months ago, I executed a deposit on a purchase order for tens of thousands of dollars, and six months later, the product sold, and try to understand then um, the margins and, and make those decisions based on such a mismatch of information. But I think when looking at it from a tax perspective, in the U.S. in particular, that decision is best advised from your CPA because the tax law is consistently changing. So there may be other things to consider um, based on your business that a tax professional could provide clear advice against. But for the purposes of managing the day-to-day -day operations and making those key decisions based in clarity and visibility across where um, cash is being outlaid and, and expenses are being incurred, I believe that accrual is 100% the path to follow. Yeah, you, you you echo a lot of um, you know professionals um, you know view on on accrual, and thanks for the tip on 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 cash um, with regards to 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 tax. Okay, so you also mentioned earlier on the fact that it is very important to to understand your gross and um, your 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 your, your nets profits margins from um on a platform by platform basis so let's say you're a multi-channel 
um, e-commerce, you know, operator, you know, you're, you're selling in marketplaces, you, you Walmart, Amazon, and direct to consumer. Is it too granular to do the same at a products level? Um, in the, the reason why I say oh, it might be great to understand it at the product level is if you look at it, if you zoom into like a marketplace like Amazon, for instance, and you use Helium 10 and you, you enter your, at least your cogs into Helium 10 effectively, it kind of gives you a profitability driven report and you, you kind of understand, okay, the, as much as these products are, um, you know, giving me or driving us, um, you know, huge cross revenue, they might be not as profitable as these other, you know, this other SKUs and you might want to focus on, on other SKUs and you might then inform your PPC team to, to focus on those SKUs when they're promoting it because it is more profitable. It, it, it leaves more net um, cash net more net margin in your business. So I guess my question is, how how granular does your um, does your PNL go, or do you use other systems to to track to to track profitability? Um, yeah, I'll be keen to to know your thoughts. Yeah, I I think our reporting provides that clarity and visibility by sales channel, but. I will echo that sentiment that it's critical when either launching a new product or identifying which products to make those big investments in paid media to advertise against, to be clear on what your unit economics look like across each of those products or each of your SKUs. So there's a tool that we leverage with all of our accounting solutions that's called A2X. So A2X creates a bridge between Amazon, Shopify, all of your various sales channels and your accounting system, either QuickBooks Online or Xero. One of the great features that's less advertised with A2X is its ability for you to load your cost list into A2X so that it helps create that match of sales, postings, and expense posting to cost of goods sold. But to the point you had made earlier in understanding, so what tools um, for many of our sellers, it's very simply a calculator we've created in a Google sheet that helps them identify the per unit costs across shipping, merchant processing fees, such as PayPal or Stripe, the packaging cost associated with this particular product, the uh, budget that might be available to them at certain gross margins or contribution margin after marketing to invest in paid media. And with that information, they at least can be familiar with what can be anticipated in launching this product at different price points or being in the position to know which products have an opportunity to be discounted, to run on promotions, because the margin can support it. Um, there are tools out there that help automate, and some of our customers that are across a uh, larger SKU base do leverage those solutions. But our particular focus is really helping them understand from that 10,000 foot view, 
um, a, a little bit of a drill down to, hey, you may want to look on these particular channels to see if there's opportunity to make those products a bit more profitable. But we as a provider don't get down to the product or SKU level. Okay. Makes makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I resonate with that. Um with with A2X, um, with 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 the tip you, you just made with A2X, um, just putting your cogs, you know, data there. Um, should provide a lot of insight, a lot of insight, it's similar to Helium 10, only that I think A210 is is really good. It, I think it integrates with Zero and, you know, other accounting you know, software, which which bridges um, that chasm really um, between Seller Central and um, and your, um, your, 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 your accounting system, I guess. Yeah, and if I could add, I think it's just as important and not just to understand what goes into the cost basis, but also to understand from each sales channel, how much are the marketplace expenses, mm. the FBA fees, the seller charges that Amazon is taking out of that net deposit. So one of the common mistakes that we see in more early stage brands that come to us from a channel like Amazon is they've historically just simply reconciled the deposit as their sales number. They didn't go into Seller Central and build either a pivot table or run the necessary reports for them to truly understand the gross sales against the marketplace expenses, against the refunds and returns, um, against the shipping expenses and and shipping income that was collected to really know what the, they, they understand their net sales, but they didn't understand where there might be opportunity in having that visibility and clarity and looking across trends over time to pick out situations where perhaps Amazon may have overcharged them for storage fees or they they miscategorized their product and, and had some of the measurements wrong. So there's tools that are that are coming about now that can help sellers identify these things. I think Gatita and Seller View are two that I've had conversations with that focus on helping sellers understand and provide some instruction around uh, working with Amazon to get refunds um, where refunds are due. But I think just as important was our point earlier, without the visibility in having a landscape or, or a report placed in front of you to where you can identify these blips um, or months when these expenses are outside of typical trends, then that question just often isn't asked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Speaking of like the charts of accounts in, in zero, um, from a, what, what does your revenue breakdown look like? What, what should a good revenue breakdown look like um, on, for like a, a multi-channel retailer? Say you're selling um, across um, uh, numerous geos in, in Amazon Europe. You're doing Amazon, maybe USA. Um, you, have a, you have two Shopify sites, you know, um, one for your local, wherever you, you're based and another for the rest of the world. Um, and maybe you'll, you you have a distribution deal with, with, you know, two or three retailers. How do you, 
you know, um, really break it down where it's not like too granular and, um, and then you just maintain the right amount of information, um, revenue information or breakdown to, to really guide you to making, um, you know, critical decisions. Yeah, I think our structure is one where we certainly look across each marketplace and leverage the benefit of groupings to then drill down where the need arises. So in your example, where you have multiple instances of Amazon, there certainly will be a high level grouping that allows for you the visibility to see your entirety of Amazon sales. But within that, there's also a drill down that helps you expand to see each of the geos. You'd be able to see your US, Amazon, gross sales, merchant fees, refunds and returns, discounts, Canada, similar structure. Shopify, um, I think at a minimum, what's important because it does impact very significantly your margins is to have visibility into your discounts, your shipping income, and your returns and refunds separate from your sales number. Because in understanding those amounts, you can begin to understand the percentage of discounts provided in a typical month. And again, each percentage of discount is a percentage you're pulling away from your margin because your expenses tend not to change when you issue discounts. You're just simply saying, I'm willing to accept a lower price on a bet that I can create higher volume. But to our discussion earlier, some products don't lend themselves enough margin to put as significant a discount as what sellers believe will be attractive to command those higher volumes. Mm -hmm. So you put yourself in a position to which you're scaling losses. You're, you're just simply selling a product you're losing more and more money on. So I, th I think it's critical to understand your discounts and also your refunds. It really advises to the quality of the product or the experience that you're putting forth. I think it, in, in looking toward paths to scale, you need to minimize your refunds and returns. You need to put forth a product that oh, it should be rewarded in repeated purchases and folks com continuing to tell their friends, family, you know, everyone on their social media is about. Okay. Make, makes a lot of sense. Um, so back in season six, um, I think season six, episode 52, uh, I interviewed Garrett, G Garrett, um, Akerson. He is the founder of Kindred Bravely. I think they're like an apparel, their kids apparel company. And um, at the time, they were um, doing gross revenues and they were profitable, by the way, of about 30 million um, US dollars um, a year per annum. And the one thing that struck me was the fact that um, his organization was still spreadsheet driven. Yes, he had the systems. They had their accounting systems and you know their marketing systems, quite sophisticated systems. But he was like, every week, a member, everybody, every department essentially drops their number in this central dashboard. And I get this big picture aggregated over weeks and I see patterns and I can read those patterns and I make decisions off the back of those patterns. Um, just taking a pip out of accounting, 
what other metrics should you from a financial lens sort of look at that are affecting finance and eventually growth and on the flip side what financial metrics can you report to your growth team essentially your marketing team to give them more incentives or to to tell them or to to give them alerts that hey you're over indexing here um this is what we're seeing so so how do you sort of ensure that two-way comms from a data perspective to run a business collectively with your team yeah i think there's really two categories of metrics uh, that i consider there's growth and there's efficiency i think when i consider growth metrics i would suggest percentage growth month over month week over week if you're looking to scale you need to sell more next week than you did last week so looking at a way to gauge and understand that path over time is critical and to our point we also want to do that profitably we want to ensure that more sales are driving higher profit which is relating itself to more cash more free cash flow available to us each and every month so at the minimum i would advise that weekly you're covering your percentage growth and then also those key margins that we've discussed alongside the net free cash flow so did your bank account all of your bank accounts your credit card spend did cash increase or decrease through your business each week because the power of having someone tangibly key in a negative number each and every week you cannot continue to just have negative free cash flow every week you will you will put yourself out of business so i would look to those growth metrics on the efficiency side i believe efficiency in e-commerce really comes from an ability to optimize inventory and your unit cost alongside marketing efficiency and excellence as well as just general um oversight of your operating expenses right mm-hmm. so in understanding those as the main categories uh what we've often done is supported just a simple percentage of each category against sales again what what i believe is most important is to see trends over time understanding where your baseline sits and then making those decisions to impact from that baseline to achieve your intended goals so in looking at efficiency metrics you need days on hand or weeks on hand inventory numbers you simply can't you can't uh go out of stock and continue to support growth so you need some metric that understands the efficiency of your inventory turnover so that might be days or weeks inventory on hand is as a metric that shared each week um things for marketing of course return on ad spend or MER is one that we've supported some of the collection and 
And many of these metrics are available through tools now with integrations directly into Slack. So you're able to um, pull from the best sources available to pull together in closer to real time this information and share them in a picture, as you mentioned, uh, a Google Sheet that can help inform the entire team. That makes, that makes sense. Thank, thanks for, for, for that. Financial products, financial tools. We're speaking finance, we're speaking accounting. Um, RBFs have come, various financial products have come over in recent times, essentially. There's been a boom and gloom in with financial you know products especially fintech um, financial products which ones are you most excited about um and what caveats should um should founders be 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 aware of yeah, i think it's like the next fad workout program or diet right i think there's often a lot of marketing and some amazing imagery that's put forth um when these new tools and resources become available that the marketing uh, sometimes overshines the effectiveness of these solutions. Um, so I think you proceed with caution. I recommend often that folks go to reliable resources to source reviews and firsthand experience uh, within these products or solutions. There's amazing communities out there of seven-figure e-commerce brand operators that share their firsthand experience working with different software products, lending solutions, accounting firms. Um, so search out, you know, those, those reviews, but also understand um, really the, the features and the value that these tools are providing to you within your business. Um, you really want to find these solutions that either help you save time, help you create insights that you couldn't otherwise see in your other solutions, but also, you know, pricing needs to be a consideration. I, I think whenever you talk about the value conversation, you need to consider um, what, what cost is going out the door. So you want to make sure you're getting good value for your money um, and really utilizing these solutions and seeing the results that they advertise within your business. How do you determine the value based on interest rate from a revenue-based finance provider? Would you recommend going with a revenue-based finance provider to say fund advertising or even inventory what, what what are your rules for um access to to credit um as a business particularly businesses looking to scale um without essentially falling face down um due to just not being profitable yeah i think there's a there's a lot of considerations for folks we've had experience supporting brands that um their goals were to scale top line at nearly all cost. Uh, they really wanted to see a trajectory in a very quick path from zero to $10 million. But it was behind the expertise of 
individuals, very knowledgeable in the industry for the product set, very capable of sourcing investor and venture capital after this period of growth. So for this situation, um, it made sense for them to source out these, um, what some people call predatory at times, lending solutions uh, for that quick injection of capital without a very lengthy lead time for them to receive it. Um, what was critical for us to advise is for them to truly understand the true cash impact of these repayments over time. So there's amazing resources available and some exciting conversations that have occurred through folks' learnings in the space where you can now Google for APR calculators that can help really advise you on what some of these merchant lender true cost of lending looks like. So you can help project out, okay, the true output or repayment for this particular loan is going to look like this over time. And it may be that you're in a position based on how profitable your products are and how much space, how much margin there is capable of uh, providing for the APR that is to be repaid with these loans can, can manage. So I can't advise in every situation with a blanket statement because mm -hmm. they are amazing resources for folks that cannot first leverage their local credit union, traditional banking, friends and family, a rich uncle uh, to source the working capital needed that could really help keep the trajectory of sales that keeps people interested in the brand, that keeps people repeatedly buying. Um, but I think if it's your last resource to try to save a brand that's typically been failing, then I would truly advise to do very diligent research into what the repayment and cash flow needs to um, settle these loans really look like. Because as advertised, what might be a you know a ten percent. 15% loan, it looks like something like 80% APR um, at the end of the day. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right to really comb through that fine print. And on that note, um, we, 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 we conclude this conversation. But before I let you go, I have a rapid fire question segment of the show where I ask you about six questions in a single sentence. And if you could answer each of them with a single sentence, it'd be hey, okay. That's often tough for me. <laughs> what advice would you give to yourself five years ago? Go for it. Okay. What's been your most meaningful business contact in the last five years? An individual? Yeah. So who has been I, your most meaningful business contact in the last five years? I learned a tremendous amount from Taylor Holiday at mm -hmm. Common Thread Collective about really diving in and the excitement around e-commerce finances. 
Mm-hmm. Are you a morning person? I'm an extremely morning person. Absolutely. What does your morning routine look like? Wake up approximately 45 minutes before my children, do a bit of devotional Bible study, step into some reading, personal reading. That's uh, typical like professional or personal development books with my hot morning coffee. And then it's uh, after 45 minutes, getting the kids up out to school, myself to the gym, showered breakfast into the work routine. Amazing. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Rereading Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor mm. Frankl. Mm. Mm. Okay. Finally, what's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a, a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. I think thinking I could build a business by myself or in my early days, uh, just trying to handle all areas of business proved to be a learning that was critical for me at that time and to understand the importance of le- leveraging experts and others strengths to help support a a greater goal which was to build a a larger business than i could do on my own wayne it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2x e-commerce podcast show for those who want to find out more about what you do um head over to beanninjas.com they're e-commerce accountants they support platforms like shopify woocommerce amazon fb omni channel um, and from your website, you have a plethora of services, bookkeeping, accounting, tax, virtual CFO, and e-commerce accounting setup. So go check them out. Um, are you active on any social media platforms yourself? Uh, Bean Ninjas is active across Twitter. I'm active on LinkedIn, hoping to build a, a bit more of a Twitter following. So you'll find me on either one of those platforms. Okay. We'll link to all your socials in the show notes. Thank you again, Wayne, for for coming to 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you so much. Grateful to have been here. Cheers. 